All right. I get excited about the Bible. I pray that you get excited about the Bible as well. And in the chapter that we're going to look at today in Matthew chapter 18, we're going to talk about and address the uh, topics of humility. And then that also flows into the topic that you're going to hear in the sermon this morning, which ties into forgiveness. And so I want to be able to get to that section on forgiveness because it really ties in well with what uh, Cody's going to be preaching on uh, today. But Jesus starts with the whole topic of humility and once again asking, you know, like where is your heart because it becomes a heart issue. And uh, if, if you, and this is, this is where you get to jump in here right off the bat, if you were to define or try to describe humility, uh, what, what, what do you, what do you, what, how would you define that? How would you describe humility? Uh, just, just thought, now, I'll give you a chance to think about that. You know, I've heard all of the one-liners, you know, of, of humility. Um, somebody said the act, the ability to act embarrassed when you tell people how wonderful you are, you know, <laughs> humility. Somebody else said, uh, I think it was George Burns, I couldn't find exactly where it was, but it says, what the world needs is more geniuses with humility. There are so few of us left, you know. <laughs> so, you know, we've got, we've got all of those jokes on humility, but how would, you, how would you describe it or how would you define humility? All right, we got a bunch of humble people. <laughs> Anyone? Not proud, all right, yeah. Okay, yeah, Paul. Yeah, Paul, Paul says that. And also then in Philippians, we even have, have uh, when Paul talks about humility, we have the example of Jesus himself. We'll actually go to that in, in Philippians uh, later on. And so we, we see the example of humility in Jesus himself. Uh, let me give you a couple of uh, definitions that I found, which I thought were pretty good. One was mastery. Mastery begins with humility. It's really true. You want to master the topic, master the, the subject. You're going to have to really be humble before it, uh, not proud before it. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Uh, humility is proper estimate of oneself. That was Charles Spurgeon. Humility on the uh, outside in the spiritual context, outside really is the freedom of pride or arrogance. But inside the spiritual context, uh, Philip Brooks, I thought, made a really apt comment. He said, uh, the true way to be humble is not to stoop until you are smaller than yourself, but to stand at your real height against some higher nature that will show you what the real smallness of your greatness is. And you, and you go, says the true way to be humble is not to stoop until you are smaller than yourself, but to stand at your real height against some higher nature that will show you what the real smallness of your greatness is. And uh, you, you kind of go, yeah, that's, and compared to what God has done for us, 
obviously becomes a part of what's happening. In Matthew chapter 18, we're starting in the fourth discourse of, of Matthew. It's called the discipleship discourse. And the theme of the discourse is really humility. The theme of the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 5 through 7 was righteousness. It was for people of the kingdom, if you remember. People of the kingdom were uh, distinctively different people from the inside out. And so it talked about righteousness. The theme of the mission discourse in chapter 10, if you remember, was really ministry and dependence upon God where Jesus said, take nothing in your ministry. The uh, theme in the kingdom discourse in chapter 13 was obviously the kingdom and the potential of the soil was really determined how you were going to receive the truth and act upon it. The theme in the Olivet Discourse in 24 and 25 was the second coming. Here, though, in the discipleship discourse, the real focus is on humility and the attitude of the heart once again, and the attitude of the heart really then demonstrating and moving into forgiveness. Jesus had just talked about, if you remember from last week, he said, follow me. And the question became, is Jesus worthy to be followed? And that's when we saw at the transfiguration that Jesus truly was worthy to be followed. He is the single voice that I need to listen to. I need to follow him. But now the question turns is, well, what's it going to take to follow Jesus? What does following Jesus really look like? If he says, follow me, take up your cross, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me, is he worthy to be followed? Yes. What does that now really look like in following that? What does a true disciple look like? Well, Jesus now in Matthew chapter 18, we have this discipleship discourse, one of the teaching sections in the book of Matthew, and it comes down to the attitude of your heart. So look at chapter 18, verses 1 through 4, and then we're going to go on. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and said, who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And he called a child to himself and set him before them. And he said, truly I say to you, unless you are converted and become like a child, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever then humbles himself as this child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus now takes a child. Now, you need to remember how radical this really was in that particular culture. Because for most people in that culture, taking a child, the child was, uh, you, you know, were taught to look to adults to follow them. Here now, Jesus is taking a child and saying, we need to follow the example of the child. And so you go, whoa, there's a great juxtaposition here of what Jesus was saying. And he says, it's necessary for you to change and become like a ch child. Now, the New American Standard, it translates the word converted. NIV says, unless you change. ESV says, unless you turn. Literally, the, the words mean, unless you turn around. In other words, you need to change your mind about this whole thing. You need to change your thinking about how you think about yourself. Change the way that you think, not proud, but humble as a child. A child is very trusting, unpretentious, humble, low. You know, uh, 
that type of attitude. And in one sense, the disciples had already humbled themselves as they came to the place of trust in Jesus Christ. But here, they had to abandon that attitude and be about being concerned with their status within the kingdom, which is really, you know, who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He says, hey, you need to abandon that. You need to change the way that you're thinking about greatness and become humble faith, humble heart. Where's your heart? Where's your heart? Is it revolving around pride? Or is it coming at it humbly and looking at what's going on? Well, it then switches a little bit to being careful to, to not put those stumbling blocks. And in verse 5, he says, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble... It would be better for him to have a heavy millstone hung around his neck and be drowned in the depth of the sea. You need to be careful, in other words, not to put stumbling blocks up against your fellow disciples. Don't, don't cause them to stumble. And it's really interesting, the, the picture that Jesus is using. Now, I've got a picture here that Art's going to bring up on the, on, the, on the thing. They were in Capernaum. So you remember they were in Capernaum. And these, uh, these are a couple of pic uh, pictures of the millstones that are there. Now, you'll see that kind of which, which look kind of bottom thing down there in the bottom left kind of looks like a thing. They would put this hourglass, big uh, hourglass rock over the top of that. They'd pour the uh, grain in there. They'd get two donkeys to, to grind that. The grain then would come out the bottom, and they would do that. The top part is, now they had smaller size. They had kind of like the Cuisinart size, you know, kind of the home, home Cuisinart size. But then they had the big industrial ones. And those big industrial ones could, you know, they're, they're, they stand pretty, pretty good size. And you, you recognize, wow, these things are probably pretty weighty. Well, so Jesus, there in Capernaum, where they were using these, millstones, he says, hey, whoever causes one of these little ones to believe in me to stumble, it would be better to have a heavy millstone, take one of these, and the Sea of Galilee is right over here, take one of these, throw him in the sea to be drowned. So he wasn't just making stuff up, he was using things that were there around him to demonstrate his point of you don't want to cause the brethren to stumble. You want to encourage them, build them up in the faith. You want to encourage them in, in what they're doing. And that's where Jesus then goes with the, the, the part, the last part of it. He says, hey, you need to make a radical break. He then says, if you seek to restore a disciple, this is the way that you do it. But then... In verse 21, he comes back around to this whole topic of humility, but now he links that topic of humility with forgiveness. And that's really where I want to kind of stretch our thinking a little bit because we go into humility, but then humility now really gets start, starts to get linked with forgiveness. Look at what it says in verses 21 and 22. Peter came up to him and says, Lord, 
how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. In other words, you need to be totally unforgiving here because that's the attitude of your heart. And if, if you have that humble attitude, there's no limit. There's no limit to the times that you should forgive your brothers. The obstacle to that forgiveness, typically, we would say, yeah, it's pride, ego. You know, I'm not going to forgive that person because of, I want to, you know, well, pride. One of my way. Jesus is now saying, hey, no. The attitude of your heart is one of humbleness. You're going to forgive. So then he illustrates that with that point of repeated personal forgiveness with a parable. I love parables. So here's the parable. Then we're going to talk a little bit about it. Verse 23. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he had begun to settle them, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Now, you, you sit there and you go, what, what's 10,000 talents? Well, 10,000 of anything is probably pretty big, but a, a, a talent was a weight of measure of about 75 pounds. So if you take, if you take a, an ounce of silver at today's price and you multiply that out, you come to about $214 million is, is equivalent of what 10,000 would be today, somewhere in that bracket. So you're saying, okay, this is a fairly good large sum of money that this guy has accumulated. I mean, 214 million. Verse 25, but since he did not have the means to repay, yeah, his Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and children and all that he had and repayment to be made. So the slave fell to the ground, prostrated himself before him saying, have patience with me and I will repay you everything. The Lord of that slave felt compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. But, contrast, but that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. All right, a hundred denarii. A denarii was one day's wage. So it's a fairly still significant as a hundred days worth of, worth of wages. Still a significant amount, but in comparison to the amount that he owed, it's really insignificant. You know, you got 214 million uh, versus 100 days worth of wages. So the comparison was relatively, compared to the debt forgiven, it was uh, uh, insignificant. And he seized him, and he began to choke him. So now there's physical activity going on. I mean, not only does he threaten him, but now he chokes him. Oh, my goodness. Saying, pay back what you owe. So his fellow slave fell on the ground and began to plead with him. Hey, where have we seen that before? Well, it was the same thing that this guy did to the one that he owed, owed money to. Plead with him saying, 
have patience with me and I will repay you. That's exactly what he had said to the one that he owed so much money to. Now this guy, so he's in the same position, exact same position. But, verse 30, the man was unwilling, went, threw him in prison until he should pay back what was owed. So he did not forgive him, but threw him in prison. So when his fellow slaves saw what would happen, they were deeply grieved and came and reported it to their Lord all that had happened. So the buddies saw what, what had happened, goes now, reports it to the Lord. Summoning him, the Lord said to him, you wicked slave, I forgave you all that the debt because you had ple pleaded with me. All the debt because I'll you walk pleaded with, with me. that he owed him. Verse 35, my heavenly father will also do the same to you if each one of you does not forgive from your heart. From your heart. So your heart attitude really now has a lot to do with it. Forgiveness from the heart really demonstrates that attitude of humility that you have in comparison to what's going on. All right. So what's the point here? Here's where you get to chime in. What's the point here? What's going on? How do we, how do we apply this forgiveness thing into our own life? Speak to me. What's the point? What's the point? What's that? He forgave our sins. All right. So there's a little bit of a comparison going on of, hey, look at how many sins you were forgiven. And really, at that point, now in comparison, should you not forgive? And remember also that the it's that longevity of how many times should I forgive my brother, brother or sister? And he's saying unlimited. And now he gives the parable, all right? What else can we say about this parable? Yeah. We're all given the power of forgiveness. We're all given the power of forgiveness. And we don't need to abuse that or neglect that or uh, not use it properly. Okay, all right. It's a choice that we're going to make. Yeah, choice that we're going to make. Well, at this point, hadn't he already given us the Lord's Prayer? And we Back are in Matthew to, chapter 5, yeah. Right. And he says, forgive us as we forgive others. So if you 
go back to the first part, the Lord forgives us, and we all want that, and that's our job to exemplify. Okay, all right, yeah, that word exemplify in there, I think that that's it. Remember I said that part of this is how are we to, what does that look like to be a disciple? You know, is he worthy to be followed? Yay. Yes, he's worthy to be followed. We saw that on the transfiguration. Now, what does that look like to really follow him? And so now he brings out the child. He starts out with the child of humility. Then he ends up with this, this forgiveness thing. Yeah, go ahead. And the disciples at this point didn't know he was going to die. You know, we're looking at it knowing that the sacrifice that was about to be made. After his death, of course, how all of this, all of his words then took on a whole new meaning for them. Yeah, you bet. You bet. Go ahead. Sure. Correct. Yeah. That, if, if your brother sins against you, it almost places the burden upon me to go to my brother There's a and not wait for him to come to me. Yeah. In the flow of the passage, obviously, uh, when he when they were talking, he said, "Hey, you got the child. Do not do not let this individual stumble." Yeah. On the other hand, if they do, then you need to go restore that brother. Yeah. And so that's where that section in there of restoration really yeah. comes in. And it gives you the step process as to how to restore that, that brother. Now it's coming back to the question, should, how many times then yeah. should I forgive my brother? How many times should that happen? Jesus then says, hey, it's unlimited. Yeah, but I mean, what it's saying to me is it's unlimited, but it's still upon me to yes. go to him or her or sure. them as the case may be. So uh, that is pretty convicting. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Go ahead. But, 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 and this is the one that, that I find more complex, is he said, but if he refuses to listen, okay, even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. So distinguish, Doug, distinguish at what point do we forgive, but we kick him out of the church. Yeah, well, it really does, does have to do with the attitude of the heart at that point, doesn't it? Yeah. And there, there's going to be a group of people at that point that's making the decision to, you know, at that point separate it for the good of the body. To be able to to make that decision, forgiveness doesn't necessarily involve acceptance. Can you distinguish what what's happening here? Because we're still supposed to forgive the guy that we've kicked out of the church. Right. How do we do that, Doug? Or yeah. or can you can you get into that a little bit? What would you say? <laughs> See. <laughs> well, and, and you ask, but, but that, is, that is a discussion that I've had many times with people, sure. is how long do you put up with 
And there's a difference between the heart's forgiveness and making oneself vulnerable um, to, the, to the soil that they bring to the relationship. Yeah, and, and that's, that's where you have to wrap it. How many times do I make myself vulnerable to his conduct as opposed to forgiving and saying, okay, I understand you're kind of like that. It's okay with me that you're like that, but I don't want to play anymore. Yeah, and I think once again, and this, each situation is going to be a little bit different, obviously. I think, though, even it doesn't even have to be as extreme as somebody being kicked out of the church. It could be in a friendship that becomes disruptive or... Um, you know, uh, it ends up being so, toxic. yes, toxic, that's the word I'm looking for, that you have to go, I forgive you, but this is just not going to put that distance. I mean, and sometimes if you get in a Christian debate with people, they're like, well, shouldn't you just forgive them? And I go, yes, but sometimes in life you go, we're at different points in our lives. We need to separate. Well, I have a relationship in my family that, you know, we are estranged. And, but I do truly forgive her and wish her well. But I really can't have her as part in my life because of the disorder that she sure. brings to it. Sure. And I think yeah. that's what we have to do is truly forgive them, but that doesn't mean they have to be part of your life. Or, or, and here's the other part that comes back to, to what Michael was saying, or even if we do forgive does not mean that that person on the other side is A, either going to accept it or B, change. So we're talking about our proper godly biblical response to that individual what would be, who's representing Christ here? You know, it's kind of like, who's representing Christ? And so our response and our choices that we make does not necessarily mean that that's going to be reciprocated by the other person. We cannot be responsible for the way the per other person on the other side responds to our initiative. Yeah, go ahead. Um. I don't have the text before me, but it it does not suggest, I don't think, anything along the lines of a responsible forgiveness versus a reckless forgiveness. I pray that there is. Um, I think in translating and interpreting this uh, among believers, you know, uh, it, it can possibly fall into an effectively to an acceptance of evil, for sure. goodness sakes. And, sure. Um, yeah, you don't want to do that, obviously. You know, and therefore we, we come into this mushy condition of we're all the same and we're all equal, yet God the Father separates the lambs from the goats. Sure. Absolutely. Wants his, his children to be separated, a holy people separated. Yeah. And in fact, elsewhere in the Bible, go away from evil. Stay away from evil. Don't mix yourself with yeah. that. So, Flee immorality. Yeah. What was that? Oh, yeah, go ahead. My comments were actually up, well stated already. But uh, just to amplify a little bit on that, if you, if you in a family, say, uh, and a, a man gives and gives to a perhaps a son, and on and on this goes, and the son never... Uh, 
becomes, I mean, it's an enabling situation. At what point do you do more damage by enabling than saying, no, uh, you go figure it out on your own? Sure. Yeah, each situation is going to be obviously different with that one. You're going to be, and probably, you know, we're all going to err one way or the other, you know, in, in all of those uh, types of things. However, let me just keep this thing kind of going around, that the model here is Christ himself. If you remember in uh, Philippians chapter 2, Philippians chapter 2, in verse 3, it says, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to, God to, be, a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, being made in the likeness of men, being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. For this reason, then, it goes on in verse 9, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him. So the example of, example of this is Christ himself who demonstrated that humility and, and went from there. Something back there? You're going to say something? Oh, over there. Handing it back and forth. I got it. Well, you... I'm sure this is an original saying, but Christ was the example. It only takes one to forgive, as he did. It takes two to reconcile. And you cannot make somebody reconcile with you, but you can still forgive. And that's what he did on the cross. Yeah, amen, amen. There's a great uh, story here I want to read, read to you. Oh, I'm sorry. Deep thought, <laughs> not. Uh, it, it seems to me that the world opened up to me in, on forgiveness when I realized that I had expectations of other people that I had no right to expect. And when I laid down my expectation, forgiveness was much easier. It was, the expectation was what caused me to be offended and it was also, when I laid that down, it was easier to go and, and not feel um, like they owed me anything. We aren't really given any rights as Christians. We're just supposed to follow Jesus. Yeah, amen. Yeah, Corey Ten Boom, uh, I like Corey Ten Boom. If you've never been introduced to Corey Ten Boom, uh, especially her book, The Hiding Place, which was her first book, Corey was, uh, she's passed away now. She was a prisoner in Ravensbrück uh, during World War II. And uh, she had this one, one section in here which said, uh, to forgive is to set the prisoner free and to realize that the prisoner was yourself. And to recognize, you know, that uh, it was there. One more, and then I'm going to read this uh, quote, quote that's going to go on.
Yeah, absolutely. It was a choice that, that, that he made. Corey uh, writes uh, in her book, uh, she survived Ravensbrück concentration camp and where her father and her sister died in the book, if you remember. After the war, uh, Corey ministered in Holland uh, and also in Germany. And it was in 1947 that this, this little episode happened uh, that, that she wrote about. She said, I was at a church service in Munich that I saw him. A former SS guard who had stood guard at the shower room door in the processing center at Ravensbrück. He was the first of our actual jailers that I had seen since that time. And suddenly it was all there, the room full of mocking men, the heaps of clothes, Betsy's, their sister, Betsy's pain-blanched face. And he came up to me as the church was emptying, beaming and, and bowing. How grateful I am for your message, Fraulein. And to think that, as you say, he has washed my sins away. His hand was thrust out to shake mine. And I, who had preached so often to the people of Blumenthal that the, they needed to forgive, kept my hand at my side. Even as the angry, vengeful thoughts boiled through me, I saw the sin of them. Jesus Christ had died for this man. Was I going to ask for more? Lord Jesus, I prayed, forgive me and help me to forgive him. I tried to smile. I struggled to raise my hand. I could not. I felt nothing. Not the slightest spark of warmth or charity. And so again, I breathed a silent prayer. Jesus, I cannot forgive him. You need to give me your forgiveness. As I took his hand, the most incredible thing happened. From my shoulder, along my arm, and through my hand, a current seemed to pass from me to him, while into my heart sprang a love for this stranger that almost overwhelmed me. And so I discovered that it is not on our forgiveness any more than on our goodness that the world's healing hinges, but on his. When he tells us to love our enemies, he gives along with the command the love itself. You see, Jesus' message here is loving concern for our neighbor and that spirit of forgiveness are really the hallmarks, really the hallmarks of the community of believers. And out of that humility of heart, that humility of heart flows forgiveness. Out of that humility of heart flows forgiveness. And you begin to recognize, yeah, what does this look like? Well, it looks like a young child being humble enough to be dependent upon the Father, to now act in a godly and a biblical way, even though when we don't believe that we're what we can do.
continue to respond in a godly and biblical way. How's your heart? How's your heart? That's really what it gets down to. How's your heart? Where's your heart? Do you need to forgive somebody? Who's going to represent Jesus here? Who's going to represent Jesus? A lot of cases coming to that humble spot where you say, you know, yeah, I need to represent Christ likeness. Does your resistance does your resistance really flow from pride and self or from a humility representing Christ likeness? That's really what it is to kind of live on the other side, isn't it? You know, we live on this side, but living on the other side of living from the power of Christ living in us to be able to reach out. Cody's message on forgiveness really, I think, is going to pick that up as he talks about, you know, the first words, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for just the ability to be able to read your word, study your word. Father, I pray that as we examine our own hearts, that we would respond in a godly and a biblical way to those people around us, that that would become the hallmark, that they would know that we are disciples by our love that we have for one another. What a powerful statement. They will know that we are his disciples by our love that we have for one another. Father, may we act humbly, gracefully before you. Walk with us as we depend upon you in a childlike fashion. For we pray these things in Christ's name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.